Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Another episode of Bootstrap Web, middle of the summer edition. Brian Castle, yes. how are you? Doing okay. Just just threw on the AC. I think we'll I think we'll we'll get through today. It's yeah, I just looked at the email welcoming me to my Michigan rental. So I'm going to Michigan this weekend oh, for two. Oh, nice. And in that little fine copy, fine print, it says no air conditioning. Whoa! Look at, wait, I, I look wait at a the, minute. Look at my phone. It's 95 degrees in Michigan. This this is not good. I'm I'm concerned. Hopefully, okay. hopefully this house has air conditioning. But it said it might not have. Nice. We'll see. Uh, I mean, I, I know you just got back from uh, from Long Island. Um, I did. Now, now you're heading out on like a just just your uh, immediate family getaway Airbnb. Kind yeah, of my, you know, one of the things in my marriage is we we my wife and I like to keep our resentment like in balance. So we spend a week with my family. Okay, you know, and then we come home and we go spend two weeks with her family, and it kind of evens out. And we yeah. hate love each other this, about the same amount. Of uh, the last <laughs> week, I was I was. In Long Island, it was in the Hamptons with my brother and his family and got all the kids together, went to the beach and went to overly expensive restaurants with mediocre food. But it was it was awesome. Went to Splish Splash Water Park. Oh, Splish Splash. About that? The best. Splash I remember. The past. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, have to be fun. honest, much better than expected. The place was kind of awesome. I bet it. I, I bet it's amazing. I haven't yes. been there since I was, since I was like 13 years old. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So took the kids there, got some ice cream. It's all good. How about nice. you? How's summer going? It's good. It's good. Uh, after this pod, I'm going to go pick up my kids from summer camp. And uh, yeah, we're just, uh, you know, we're, we're back to normal after our trip. We're hitting the beach here in Connecticut. And, uh, you know, I, I am finding that like, I, you know, I'm always so motivated on the business, but something about the warm weather and the summer, I go through these like 30 minute to an hour periods in the middle of the day when it should be like my peak productivity time and i just find myself okay. like like walking around like do I, maybe, maybe i need to go like get another iced coffee or i think maybe it's time for another dog walk or like you know just excuses to get up from my desk and like go outside okay. you know do you do you indulge yourself or do you you know like get mad at yourself uh i i indulge and, I, I try, and then i i, I, I mean I, I still yeah i, I mean Every day, like every day counts, every hour counts. But um, mm -hmm. my thing is like, if, if I if I sit here for long enough and I don't do anything, if I'm on Twitter or if I'm just distracted, that's like an excuse to go out and, and maybe reset over at Starbucks, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. Or a walk or something. Yeah, walks, I rarely see as wasting time. They're so good for you and they get the oh, brain yeah. going. I usually come back, I'm usually tapping on my phone by the end, like writing myself ideas. Yeah. Um, the thing now for, for me is, I mean, I always do the morning walk and the morning workouts, uh, but then in the middle of the day, I usually take the dog out and now he's like super old. So he can, he like only has the energy to like go to the corner and back. And uh, okay. so, so his, True. his age is, is, is preventing me from getting my walks in. That's my experience. Okay. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> um, the, this summer I'm with you on all of that, but this last few weeks, uh, was different for me. I am very motivated by the external, you know, in long story short, seeing unbelievably beautiful houses in the Hamptons that did it for me, man. I came yeah. home so motivated. You know, I, I wouldn't want to live there. That's not my, it's, it's out of control, but it's a, it's a, it's too intense. It's too, it's it's too intense. <laughs> but, but it, it made me so motivated and so excited to come back to work that this week I've had so much fun. Just 
except for yesterday, because I was so hungover. I went through a full day of meetings just on an awful hangover. That was not cool. But besides that, the motivation was there. Yeah, so I hung out with some uh, uh, last week, a couple uh, longtime friends from my hometown. We got together in the city uh, at, at this real nice steakhouse. And yeah, it's just one of those like, you know, great to see them. Great, great time. But it's like, man, such an energy booster to be in the middle yes. of Manhattan and, and you see all this for sure. Okay. Yeah. So I, I did the same. My best friend from high school was here in Chicago. So we went out and just had so much fun. I just didn't want to say no to anything. Yeah. You know, it's like, exactly. should we go to this other bar? Do you want a shot? I just kept saying yes. Yep. And I paid the price. Yeah. Um, all right. So we are running businesses these days. And that's what that's we right. talk about. Let's yes. get into it. What do we got? All right, we got a few topics. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess I'll start this off. I think it probably applies to both of us. Um, and I just wrote down runway to profitability. Okay. And now I so I did a tweet the other day to sort of recap my thinking around this. Um, and this happened. I think this comes up for me um, almost like more like on a, like an as needed basis, but it happens about two, two or three times a year is when I sort of take some time to like step back and crack open my my spreadsheet and see yep. where we're at as as a business, as a runway financially. What do the different scenarios look like over the next twelve to twenty four months? Um, and and sort of just assess where we're at and and you know try to you know just put the, the chess pieces in place for like, mm -hmm. okay, I'm going to make these decisions, these investments over the next uh, couple of months here. So it just helps to get a clear picture on like what, what the impact is, what the best case scenario is, what the worst case scenario is, what do mm -hmm. we do in these scenarios? And, uh, and we, and we game it out, you know? Yeah. And, and should you change any behavior now? Should you expect to change behavior in the future? What if scenarios and there's the spreadsheet, it's always enlightening. It's always surprising in one way or another. Yep. I think the thing that that made me, and by the way, this is like one of those tweets that gets like no engagement. Nobody cares about these like long thread tweets anymore. But I, yeah. I actually find that writing on Twitter and also over on threads now is like, I, I think it's such a great medium for, for just getting these like ideas out because it's, it forces you to, you got to encapsulate each idea in a tweet and string four of them together. And like, that's the whole post, it, you know, mm. that's yeah, basically I don't, why I, I don't like write blog posts anymore. I just write these yeah. threads. Cause it's like, it forces me to like stay focused and then get back to work. You know? It's, it's not a good medium for me because I, I don't like to make sweeping statements. So I'm always correcting myself before I hit publish. I'm like, Oh, that's not really true for everyone or for everything. So I don't really want, I'm always like self-correcting. You kind of, you kind of have well, to I, yolo. In, in, I, I totally I totally agree with that. And I, and I hate that kind of stuff on Twitter, but I, but my approach to it is like, look, this is just something that I want to share. Right, it's just an opinion. Like mm -hmm. I literally wrote, like, these are my notes on something that I found important for me and take, take what you will. But like, I just need to publish this so that like somebody sees it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's I, don't, I don't know whether or not it might apply to you, but I, I think it was helpful for me. Let me just share my notes on it. You know? Yeah. My, my, my uh, medium is, is Slack, Slack messages, internal Slack, Slack with friends, Slack with founders, Slack with team. Um, okay. Sure. So let's, let's talk about this runway thing for a sec. What, as you were starting to say it, I, I, what I want to ask was how often are you thinking about this? M maybe the spreadsheet isn't constant, but how often, how big of a role does this play in your psychology on a day-to-day -day basis? Um, 
in terms of like the nitty gritty numbers and tracking, like how many months of runway do we have? And what's mm-hmm. this specific, probably less than it should. Like, it's not, okay. I, I'm not, I'm literally not opening this spreadsheet very often. It's, so I, do you like to look at it, know where you are and then go focus on the business? Exactly. Without I, that, like always and, encroaching. Yeah. Like I spent a few hours on this the other day and like that amount of time was enough information and fuel for myself to like hold me over for at least another quarter or more of just focused work on the business you know and and i think the important thing about this is that you know the day-to-day the week-to-week even the month-to-month in the SaaS game is can be such a roller coaster you know we we know this like there's ups and downs there's stormy weather all over the place right um and that those are the kinds of things that can cloud our judgment and and make us make poor decisions because we're you know oh the, you know we had a bad two weeks what's let's change things let, yes, let's change our product roadmap or let's change our marketing or whatever you know right. um yep. or whatever it might be yeah so you know I, I think when enough when when a long enough period of time goes by where i feel like there's a lot of these emotional swings, a lot of roller coaster, a lot of metric swings. Um, that's when I turn to the spreadsheet to say, like, where are we actually at? What's the reality mm-hmm. look like? And let's project this out 12 to 24 months. Mm-hmm. And the the great thing about it is that I it I come out of it so much more optimistic. And okay. and it's like the, the news that the comes out of this exercise people. is always yeah. it, it, it's it, in, in my experience, it's always been much better than what the day-to-day would have me think you know mm-hmm. like like this month frankly is like not going all that great compared to the last three months okay but but it's but looking at the spreadsheet i'm like super psyched now for the next year because like i have i now i now i have a clear-eyed vision in terms of like what the options on the table are what the investments i can make in the business are and mm-hmm. uh and and how things are going to go you know yeah so the the spreadsheet is unemotional about time frame, uh, yes. whereas your emotions are like very recent, like this week, today, yesterday. The headline, I, I the tweet I saw from our competitor, just all that is in in the soup where the spreadsheet strips that away. For for my part, I would say I think about there is not a day, seven days a week that I don't make those calculations in my head. Uh, I had a, I think maybe it was on this podcast that we laughed that when I opened my calculator on my phone, oh, right. it's, it was set to the number of months when I took, you know, one divided by the other, yeah. you know, it shows me runway. And I think maybe that's, uh, I think that's okay uh, with my responsibility and role. Um, I just have to be very aware because we're, uh, it takes us longer to turn our ship. So I, I need I need visibility way off into the future is 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 what it feels like. So if we if we're gonna make changes, it's not like, oops, we, you know we need to make changes now. Like that we can't really do that is how it feels. So yeah. I want I want a lot of visibility and fundraising takes time. And so I I'm I'm looking at a time horizon on a day to day basis that I it makes me conclude that I need to think about this more often. The thing is, is that like I, I internalize the headlines in terms of like what what the headline takeaways from from looking at the spreadsheet and the runway and the and and the path. So I know what those headlines are, and th- and those do sort of just like fester in my mind at all times. But yeah. I don't 
I don't take time to like reanalyze or rejigger around scenarios, you know, every day because I have so much other work to be doing. Um, but it's just like I, I spent that day last week to to give myself permission for the next several months to be like, okay, the things that we're working on, they still totally make sense. The things that we're investing in, these things still make sense. Um, and and that's that. Well, l- looking at it. Uh, gives you a certain amount of information, some objective information that's on a longer time horizon than you normally think or feel. From there, taking that data and turning it into action, for me, I'd love to hear where you're looking at, the stress for me is around how aggressive or defensive to be. That that is where there's there's no one to ask. No one knows better than we do. So we have to we have to make those get to those conclusions and make those decisions but i i'm always i'm always worried that i'm being too defensive or being too aggressive and and trying to find that middle ground is where i where i get stressed out because it's tough to know what if what you're doing is right from my every other business experience other than rally over the last 2 3 years i've always thought of profitability and not look to outside investment very much. And therefore, I was more defensive because I wanted to get to profitability. Mm-hmm. And, and I, it has it is an ongoing struggle to switch the mindset toward, it's not that it's pointless to get to profitability at, at this early stage at Series A. It's that it it's a bit uh, incongruent with the model of the business as a whole like how you raise money for it, how you're operating it, how you're trying to grow it. Yeah. So to be too defensive just feels like what what is the point of cutting and cutting and cutting and hobbling ourselves so then we can't grow when the only way to build a business at this early stage in the venture world is grow. You right. like we're not going to cut our way to success. We you have to grow. At the same time, you can't be overly, you can't be ridiculous. You can't be, you know, silly with the money the way people used to be, or some people are. So it's in between those two. That's my stress. Yeah, I, I have the same tension uh, with myself. And um, I do operate, it's like, I, I still have not fully, I, I just have never gotten very comfortable running a business that's not profitable. Like this, this one is my first business really that has a sustained period of, of not profitable and we're yeah, working on a, on a financial runway. Yep. Um, and, um, and so, you know, that, and, but I, in terms of the, the type of investment that I've taken and, and the path that I'm hoping to go forward with, like, I am looking at like, how soon can we get to profitability? And, and I think that we're, we are turning a corner with the product and the customers. And I think that there's a path to get there, you know, in, in about the next year. Um, and that's the goal. And, and I'm, I'm optimizing for that. Um, but at the same time, you know, like you're talking about the way that I'm playing out these scenarios and tweaking different variables, I'm not looking to cut anything that the business needs, right? Like, like the, for this to be a viable, profitable business, there are investments like people on the team and marketing investments and spends and things that have to have to go forward, right? Like, it, you know, because so, so when I when I go through this exercise of like looking at the spreadsheet, like we're still in the mode now, and we've grown a, a little bit, but it's been it's been you know it, it has been like a stormy year of you know with like 
the changes from zip message to clarity flow and and um you know uh not fully shipping all of the features that we've had on our roadmap and that taking longer than expected and all all these things so with with that it's it's been like you know what do we need for this to become a, a real sustainable profitable business and that yeah. i mean it it does need some you got to spend. spend like we're yep. starting up you know new new marketing investments in in august and um and you know we're not looking to cut developers uh but it's like how how do we make this work and what are the options 12 15 18 months from now um if we hit the growth targets or if we don't hit the growth targets what are the options right so it's mm -hmm. Uh, right. And you start yeah. to go through all the different scenarios and your backup plans and your oh shit plans and your best case scenario. And yeah, I think that this is the this is the you know fundamental role of being the person responsible for the finances of the company. Yeah. And making sure you steer clear of the rocks while pushing hard enough to actually build the thing. I guess I'll just sort of run through a couple of the points that I that I wrote out in this in this tweet the other day um, to try to be a little bit useful to people, maybe. Um, yeah. So I'm curious to, to know how you think about this when you go through the exercise of like taking out the spreadsheet or or you know calculating the the runway and all that. Okay. Um, my basic approach to it, and you know, to be clear, like I'm not I don't want to like share any actual <laughs> numbers or anything like that, sure. but this is just the process. Hopefully, it's useful. Um, um, the main thing is that like, I, I've got this spreadsheet. I could tweak, like, what if traffic changes? What if churn changes? What if, you know, ARPU changes and, and how that projects out, um, in terms of the, you know, MRR and, and bank balance and profitability over the next 12 to 24 months, right? That's what the spreadsheet does. Mm -hmm. So, so with that, what I do is, um, I basically set those settings, the, the change percentage settings, like let, let's assume we grow traffic by this percent or or let's, let's assume that ARPU keeps going up. That Like I make those assumptions based on what the current reality is, like what, what our current actual trends are. And then I sort of like back it off a little bit and make it even a little bit more conservative than what reality is right now. Yep, okay. You know, um, and then even that, even that like sort of like baseline, like status quo, let's say nothing really meaningful changes. Let's see where, where the current trajectory takes us. Even that is still leaving out some like some major things that could impact the trajectory in a good way. But, but these are things that haven't happened yet. Right. Like, so I don't, I don't know, like for example, in the future, if we, if we were to like do a big like price raise on the legacy customers that that would impact mm -hmm. revenue. Or, right. you know, once we ship the, this payments feature coming, like, you know, these are things that can have a major impact, um, but these are not factored into this. This is just based on today's reality projected forward, you know? Um, yeah. We start with, we start with assuming that there's no revenue growth, period. So when we look at runway, we just think what's in the bank divided by what we're burning right now and flat, right? One divided by the other. How many months does that give you? Yeah. And then we start to add in realistic projections, like, okay, by this month, where are we? What ends up happening is we, we end up we end up looking at how much is in the bank right now, 
And then we look at like a six month period because six months feels, I can wrap my, my, my hands around that. Three months feels very short. 12 months feels too long. Six months feels good. So we say, okay, what if we're burning this same rate right now over the next six months, right? Which is effectively saying for the next six months, the average burn is going to be what it is right now. Some months will be better. Some months will be worse. You know, some big contract will come up and we'll have to pay 50 grand at once. And then another month will come in. We'll do some custom work and 30 grand comes in. So average over the next six months. Then we take six months, multiply that burn, and we subtract that from the current bank balance. So we say six months from today, we'll have X in the bank. At that point in time, what do we need burn to be in order for us to be in a good place? And then that burn starts to look like one way or another. That means revenue growth or expense cutting or some combination of the two need to get needs to get us to that burn. And then we know six months from today, our runway will be X. Right. And we, we kind of look at it in like these six months increments. So that way it's like, you're basically saying, by the time you have X in the bank, you need you need burn to be Y so that you're, you know, not too close to the fire. Yeah. So, it, yeah, and that, that makes, makes me feel doable because it's like, okay, is it realistic for us to get to this revenue level six months from today? And also helps us go along the way. Are we on track? Are we not on track? It if we're not like on track, we're getting months in advance. We know we're not on track months in advance. So we're starting to think through what to do. Or if we are, like right now, we're in a period of we are exceeding our projections from the last time we did this. Mm-hmm. So I'm just generally comfortable because I knew, I know the projections we made put us in a good place and we're a little bit ahead. So I'm like, okay, cool. We're, we're doing what we need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like you're... It- Maybe I, I was hearing that wrong, but you, you know, you talked a lot, a lot more about burn and how the burn is going to change over the next year or so. The, the way that I looked at it in my projection is like, we're, we run, I would say pretty lean compared to most SaaS. We've got a, a, a small handful of, of developers. We've got one marketing person I'm about to bring on a, an ads manager, um, but like my plan is to like not change the team at all in in the next year. Like it, let's as long let, as that's e- even if we see. I I'm I'm sort of hopeful. May, maybe um, hoping it, it, like I'm I'm hoping that the current team can support the growth that we're going for. So like e- even once we add X MRR, we should still be able to handle it with the current team without needing to significantly increase headcount um so that that's like one i don't know if it's realistic or not but like that's that's one assumption um and then even the invest and but like the other conclusion here is that like i can't take the foot off the gas in terms of like what we were planning on investing in um but some things are really just more about like my time and investment um i think my my time is starting to shift I'm still heavily on the product, like 95%, like working on the product every day. Um, but that is starting to shift in July and August as I'm starting to do more sales demos. Uh, I need to start making more of my time be on the marketing side and the sales side. And like, we're doing a big investment in sales um, mm-hmm. and and brand content, but that's a lot of my time. I'm not really hiring a sales team. I'm not hiring a brand strategist here, uh, you know, um, yep. So yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really hard. Yeah. I generally 
and look at it very similarly. I basically tell the team, we have who we need. We, we've got, we yeah. have one role open right now for sales, an account executive, because I have been playing the sales role and I'm not a professional salesperson. Yep. I can do a pretty good job at the demo and explaining and building a relationship, but I cannot have my focus on eight different deals at the same time and who needs what next and how do I push things forward? Like that's, that is a job. So that's the next spot to to fill. And then we're, we're done hiring for a while because like you, we feel like we've got the people in place. Now we just keep doing the same thing we're doing and more of it and bring in new customers. On the sales side, which is something that's starting to really enter my, my purview here. And I, I haven't taken enough action on it yet, but I, I want to get into it is, uh, my thinking of, on it right now is like, I will basically spearhead all of the roles in the sales process, in, including just out, outbound prospecting, figuring out LinkedIn, going into communities, making contacts, and then you know turning those into sales demo calls, doing the demo calls, doing the follow-up, doing the onboarding, like basically doing all that myself in, in the V1 of this thing. And then slowly, and then just figuring out the process, figuring out what kind of skill sets are needed where, and then start to build the team around, pr- probably start to build, put put people in place for the prospecting and, and, and the yeah, lead the gen piece and keep the sales demo calls for myself. For, for That'll be one of the last pieces that that leaves my, my plate. Um, yeah, makes sense. And uh, yep. so that, that's, and, and right now I sort of just do these, these, kind of winging it on on the sales demos but that's that's starting to change as we get into it yeah yeah i i have to say the that is how it played out for us same same way where we have an sdr right now who's great and then i'll do the first calls and then it starts to move in over into a technical discovery and like you that that initial demo introduction into the product and the company is the last piece that I'm going to let go of and put in a, a pro. And that's what that job ad is, is for. Um, yeah. For yeah. us, I, meant- I mean, I still learn so much on these demo calls just to hear like how they, how they ask about the product, how they compare it to other tools, um, what they're, what they're going, what made them enter this market right now. Like I, it's, I love getting on these calls. Yeah, yeah I, I I hear you. And yeah, we're starting to bring in Jess, our VP of product into those calls also, so she can learn directly because she wants to hear, right, I'll come out of a meeting and I'll have all these notes and Jess wants to hear that stuff for herself yep. instead of through my filter. Um, I think one of the best parts of the last few months of my like job day to day is learning. I I didn't know what I was talking about when it comes to enterprise sales. You know, I thought I was pretty familiar with sales overall and this, and this is a, a, it's like a different discipline entirely. And we have G, a a consultant that we brought on and she is, she's teaching the company how, how all this stuff works. Uh, And that part has been so fun because I am learning as if like, I feel like I'm back in, I don't even know, five, 10 years ago, where I just did not know how to do something. And then you go up the learning curve. And if yeah. you feel so accomplished from it, you feel so much more confident in your ability to succeed because you're almost like I was in the dark. I had no idea. And and now you're just so much better off. The whole organization so much better off. Yeah. I mean, actually, I, that's the thing that I plan to uh, uh, I'm, I'm reaching out to a few mentors through the through the Comfund community and, and uh, a few other people to try to just try to learn, especially on the sales side. 
Um, cause I've, I've done a lot of like inbound sales, uh, calls and sales process, but like that outbound, just like, how do you just go out to your, I know exactly who the ideal customers are. I know where, where they are, how to find them, what they look like. Um, and I just want to kind of see what other companies are, are doing right now. Uh, if I can sort of like look over their shoulder and see, see how these operations work. So I'm trying to, I, I'm th- throwing it out here on the podcast too. If, if anyone wants to hop on a call, I'm, I'm really looking to learn on that. Yeah, I think we should keep doing it over the next few months because I, I feel like I'm a few months ahead of you in that learning curve. For sure. And yeah. it is it is awesome. Like we went through a sales process with a great prospect and it was everything worked out perfectly. And this time on this deal at the very end after we put out the proposal pricing and then finally like decision time they they basically said, you know what we need to do? We need to go talk and see how much it costs for us to build it ourselves. So it was, mm-hmm. it was the first time we had like a build or buy type of a decision. Yeah. And now we're kind of waiting on the sidelines, waiting for them to find out how much it would cost. Mm-hmm. And and then to take that and say, oh, sh- we should have known that a month ago. And now we have like a, a build versus buy calculator that's input into the early parts of the sales process. Yeah, makes sense. So like, you just like, like how, when, how do we handle that yes, objection? Even that, that, obje- that deal, yeah. it makes you more likely to win deals in the future. It's just that's like, the kind of thing where it's like you figure out like, how do you help them calculate what it costs to, to build? And, and and also what are the implications that they're maybe not thinking about? And like, how do you work that? How do you be, a, how do you be helpful to them in the sales process? Because th- clearly that's a hurdle they need to get through before they're ready right. to make a decision. It's totally yeah. reasonable. Someone yeah. asks you to buy something for over $100,000, you need to call a timeout and make sure you're making a good decision. Yep. And it's like, if it's our fault for not acknowledging the position that we were going to put them in with that type of a price without covering, hey, you're on Magento. People on Magento are used to building stuff on their own. For you to know if you wanted to build this on your own with this base functionality, this is what you should expect. It yep. literally is like helping them make the decision. Hundred yep. percent. Yep. What else we got? What else? I got. I got a weird one. All right. That, that, I'm, okay. I'm excited. What do we got? I, <laughs> I am. I am constantly puzzled at how to handle our situation with our biggest competitor. Mm-hmm. We it is it is relevant to us when we talk to merchants. They've either used that competitor in the past. They use them actively. They considered them. They talk. It is relevant in in our stuff. It's not like oh, don't worry about your competitors type of thing. No, it's relevant. They, if we're being honest when we talk to a merchant, we what we want to say to be honest is it is a bad idea to work with that company, and here's a list of reasons why. Yeah. But that like how hard is, do you want to push that yes, button, right? How much mud can you throw without it being counterproductive? So it's relevant. This morning I wake up and one of our investors sends me a text message to a link of an information article, Bolt being investigated by SEC. And then like a ridiculous amount of shenanigans. The founder borrowed $30 million from the company, then refused to pay it back, then fired the board members that tried to make him pay it back. Like, just like shenanigans, you know? I think the, I mean, it's a totally different situation here, but I, I think the way that I used to really approach this on sales calls, um, like an audience ops and stuff was like, because the, the competitors in our case would be like, oh, we we hired this freelancer and it didn't work out. So now we need like this type of service or 
okay. I, I would sort of just like echo back to them the horror stories that I that I hear about what it's like to, you know, and or or I would say like, oh, we're we're hearing a lot of this from from these other customers right now, and you just mm-hmm. start to hear the head nod of like, oh, that that I ident- I've seen that or I I've, right. I've experienced that, you know, right. Uh, or they or they understand so it's like it's almost like i'm i'm just sort of like reporting on what i see and not like saying like here i think that they suck or this or that you know yes right it needs to be more objective the the what we did this week now that we think of it is i got on a call with one of our customers that switched from bolt to rally and i did an interview with them and basically you know a 30 minute call that's recorded to to pull quotes and testimonial and so maybe that like objective, hey, here's someone who works with that company and now works with us. And this is what they, these are the themes that they're bringing up. And maybe that resonates and th- that will always be better than someone on our team saying, here's a bad idea for you to choose our competitor. Cause that's so transparently self-serving. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but I, it, it makes me, uh, I probably think about it more than I should because it doesn't make that big of a difference overall, but it is a strategic consideration if their company goes under. Like it, it might. Well, I, I feel like it, it, which it should definitely, like in terms of like how hard do you throw the mud, right? Or, or how often? I, I mean, if, if the prospect brings it up, if, if they're like, well, we were considering Bolt or we used to be on Bolt, then like now, now you're in that conversation. Now yeah, it's like, uh, have right. at it, right? Uh, but I, I got to imagine that there's some, at least some segment of the customers who are like, maybe not even thinking about it or not noticing it. And they just came to you, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a double-edged sword because uh, it creates credibility issues for the product category as a whole. So if yeah. they, if they went out of business next month, I wouldn't be surprised by it at all. They might stick around for 10 years or they could go out next month. I have absolutely no idea, but it wouldn't be surprised. Neither would surprise me mm-hmm. just because that happened. I am not convinced that that's only good for us. <laughs> I think that's also a problem for us at the same time. So it's mm-hmm. this thing yeah. that I just kind of want. If they do that, then, then they're all like that, right? Like you got to- Right, or, oh, I, I don't want to, you know, switch to your checkout. And then maybe a year from now, you go out of business or you get acquired mm-hmm. and I got to switch my checkout again type of right. thing. Mm. A weird thing know. about competitors that I see now is, and this still sort of, I don't know, like boggles my mind a little bit when I, because I, I I hear I hear from customers a lot, and and I and I'm the one doing customer support in our team. Again, we're we're a pretty lean operation here, but most of the su- support is problems, right? Like if things are going great, <laughs> they're they're not really hitting up the, the support inbox. So, a lot of times I I see not a lot, but like it, you know from a handful of customers, I'll see like repeated. I'll just call them like complaints. Like they're complaining about the product. It there was a okay. bug, or or this or that didn't work, or they were confused by something. And and believe me, we we've got a, a ton of things to to work on and fix and improve and UX issues to to work through. We've got a long list. Um, but but it always but then it, it keeps I I keep reminding myself like wait, but they're still a customer. They haven't left. They're just complaining. And, or they're or they're trying to be helpful by by revealing a, a bug or revealing an issue that they ran into. Okay, but, okay. But like it happens huh. in in some cases with some customers, like it happens repeatedly for months at a time. And you would think that that like with this 
with these many issues, like they would just go to a competitor. But I, I keep being reminded of the fact that like there's something about what we're putting together that the, that the competitors have not right. put this together. As a whole. Maybe the feature that As they're pissed whole. off about. There, there's the definitely thing. gaps. There's definitely right. things that might be frustrating. Um, but there's something about, and, and I think that there's a segment of customers who sort of see where we're going with the product. And, and okay, I've been like really the, transparent about what, what we're building and what's coming. Mm-hmm. That they're that they're holding out, you know, um, and some of them literally say like like when are you shipping this? Like, um, is is it out yet? What's the ETA on this feature? That right, like that that's coming in all the time. So I I keep trying to remind and stay optimistic, stay on the bright side of things. But but you know sometimes I'm I'm hearing literal complaints about stuff. That's like oh, it's impossible. There's nothing worse that as the founder, as the as the builder on this product to to hear people are like frustrated. You know, yeah. Um, well, that's. I have but to tell but you. like but still it's like I in in some cases I'm like man like you seem pretty angry like why have you not canceled yet like I don't actually say that to them but mm-hmm. but I that's what I'm thinking it's like well all right like I I get that like this was a frustrating thing we're 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 working on making it better you know but like you're still here <laughs> I'm not you know you're I'm not I'm not locking you into a contract here or anything like yeah it know. is I think the hardest part is that you are experiencing multiple roles and points of view at the same time where you are taking in the first line support request and you are building the product and you are managing the business and the finances. Like that is a lot. So that one data point comes in and infects all of those different roles. True. The, you know, it's sure a little bit dangerous to get too far away from customer engagement but yeah. a layer or two I do wish I had a, a tier one keeps you calmer, you know, keeps barrier. you more stable. But, the, but honestly, the truth is we we're at a level of volume where it's like it's it's not a super high volume where there's like a lot of just tier one tickets that are just time consuming and not actually helpful for me. Um, right. They're they're asking you know, it's it's not like I'm spending time on like password reset issues or right. stuff like that. Like it, honestly, those issues don't come in because people don't have issues with that. Like you know the issues that I see are feature requests or bugs or UX issues, and you got to know. Frankly, <laughs> those are those are three things that I very much want to know about. So, yeah. you know. Anyway, yeah, yeah, um, tricky. I, I I go back and forth on that, but I'm generally. It's easier when you aren't getting the heat. Literally, the words that the person is typing into an email and hitting send. When someone, you know, someone on the team comes to me and say, just just a heads up, this particular merchant, little bit of danger of churn. Here's what happened. Here's the things. I say, mm-hmm. damn, I don't like that. And and it doesn't register that much emotionally because it's this thing that happened. It's not something that I caused and and I can fix. And so it is a bit easier emotionally. Yeah. Yeah, I remember I ha- I did have that layer in audience ops where they were if something gets escalated to me, they gave me a little bit of a rundown on like the backstory with this person before, I, so I could sort of digest it in the right way, you know. Um, before I got to run here, um, mm. uh, I don't know. I thought a, a sort of an open question. I noticed that a few friends and founders and just founders in general in our spaces. It, I don't know if this is a trend or if it's just something that I picked up on. It seems like more and more founders are um, picking up 
the or or actually investing in personal brand as a founder. Okay. Uh, and what I mean by investing is writing blog posts, writing newsletters, doing personal podcasts, being more public, being more posting. public, um, posting more. And but it's not just posting more. It's like to in order to post, you're spending your time on this stuff. Um, so mm-hmm. I guess it's just sort of, sort of an open question: is is this a thing that more SaaS founders are doing, and why? And is it a good idea or a bad idea? I know it's like the age old question of like. Just the personal audience. Yeah. It, how important is that in SaaS? Um, I, and I'll, I, I guess real quick, like where I come down on it now, I, I, you know, years ago, I would have said like, I, I think that the personal brand audience is much more important for me. And now it's like really not important at all. I, I only do this podcast because I enjoy it. I, I like hanging out with you. And, and I do like the feedback from, I consider the listeners of this podcast to be peers you know, so mm-hmm. it, that's a fun way to stay connected to other founders, but I don't do this for marketing for or sales or, or branding purposes, really. Yeah, same. Um, if you look at my personal blog or even my, my Twitter feed, it's way down in terms of posting volume than it was in years past because I just don't have a lot to say. And, and, and I don't have, I, I don't find it important for me to spend time thinking through a, a, a new article or or a blog post or a newsletter. Um, I, I just have so much other work to do on the business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I mean, it's not to say that like personal brand doesn't have an impact. It definitely does for for a lot of businesses. And it, the other thing is like I do want to invest in brand on Clarity Flow, and I'm and we're start like I'm starting up a new podcast with coaches and 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 that kind of stuff. But like. I've I've actually had a hard time trying to figure out like how do I invest in brand mm-hmm. w- without it being about myself. And I am going to do a lot of the legwork, like do these podcast interviews and stuff. But like, it's I I find it it's it's more about like elevating the customer. Let's 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 celebrate the customer and the story of of a coach and, yeah, and how they Martha. run their businesses and okay. and case studies. Like you were talking about like like the interview, like, like interviewing a customer about their switching experience. Um. You know, so that I am thinking about, and I think that investing in brand in general is becoming way more important, but I don't know that investing in the personal founder brand is important unless like your customers are really other founders. That, yeah, that might it, make a difference. It, it definitely depends on the market. Uh, I see this every day because in the Shopify ecosystem, it really can make a very big difference. So uh, Jimmy, Kim, who runs Sendlane, uh, has been, it is one of the most impressive things I've seen the, the last six months that, that his company has done. They're growing out of control and he has won over the Twitter e-commerce community. And in Shopify world, decisions are made, are, are made based on those, those elements, like who's popular and not, and who has the support and who raise prices too quickly and how do we feel about them so like that market it really matters i am generally relieved that in our market in magento and salesforce nobody cares yeah and no one's on twitter in that same way so i i i feel relieved that i don't feel the need to do it yeah now w- with that said so the market matters i think the most difficult part about it is that it's so visible when a founder does it really well, you and I see it. Mm-hmm. And it, it can easily convince us that that works and that you should be doing it also. 
Yep. But part of it is just the element that it's so visible because you're just on your phone all the time and you're on Twitter and threads and LinkedIn and wherever you 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 hang out and you see people who are right this is the other factor some people are really good at it right they they're off, and I admire it and that's cool but I am not that's not my thing and I don't want to feel bad about not being good at it. I'm just happy for them that they're awesome at it. Good for them. But yeah. it doesn't mean you have to do it. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I do think that it matters m- much more about who your customers are. The thing that, I guess mm-hmm. the thing that, that I don't know, bothers me is the wrong word. Because I really, I, I, I firmly believe like every there's, founder there's should, like, like you, you do you, honestly. Like, like, like if, if you feel it's important, like by, like, I'm sure that there are aspects of this that I'm not seeing. And and that's how I feel about most things. So I'm, okay. I, I, okay. I never really want to call out anybody else's strategy to say, like, you're doing it wrong. I don't want to be that you're guy. You're being too nice, but okay. <laughs> you know, but I guess the thing, part of it is that, like, I, I do have a problem with people doing, like, investing in, quote, unquote, personal brand that is just not authentic. You're just doing it for, like, traffic or lead generation for your business. I think the best personal brands that we know of are truly authentic. They're, they're just sharing ideas because they feel like it's important and it would be, it would just sort of feel like ridiculous if like, oh, this is interesting. Like, how do I not share this? Right? Um, uh, yes. You know, and, like, yeah, I don't know, go ahead. Yeah, and, but, but the, so here's this weird thing, right? Um, it's almost like music where, Let's say you and I know good music. A lot of the pop garbage, it just bothers you. And it's annoying, but it has a far bigger audience. What, you're not a Taylor Swift fan? First of all, (laughs) shout out Taylor Swift's good for everyone, okay? She's just great. (laughs) But a lot of pop, a lot of very mainstream music, TV shows, movies, they kind of bother you, but the audience is so much bigger. So when I see a founder being a douchebag, talking about how much their revenue is growing and how amazing everything's going, it bothers me. It's annoying. Like I, I have been very actively muting and unfollowing. Yeah, me, me too. And, out, and when I see yeah. that stuff, I, I actually wonder to myself, I'm like, do, when they write this, do they think that, like, do, do they enjoy reading this kind of content from other people? Right. You know, I think um, that's where I go to like the mainstream music thing. I think maybe they do. And that a lot of other people like to consume it, but you and I, with our great taste and all the people listening to this podcast are like, that's a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. We know things are harder than they appear. We know half of this shit isn't even true. And something bothers us when someone just comes on and just boasts and just says, aren't I awesome? But a lot of people like do it, like it, I guess. Yeah. I think that explains why when I write a, a Twitter thread about my uh, roadmap to profitability strategy and it gets like two likes. I yeah, guess too thoughtful. Sort of- too serious. Yeah, no, thanks. I, I, Tell me I how amazing I'm, you are. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yep. I guess yeah. that's that. So there's, right. there, there's something there. And, <laughs> and I think for me, that's like the final bit of it. When I, when I go through this analysis of should I do it? Should I be more like them? All that stuff. At the end of the day, I'm not hitting send on some douchebag message boasting about how awesome I am. I'm just not doing yeah. that. Nothing's going to make me do that. Period. I think, and, and also just strategically, I, I, personally just don't see any viable way for me to spend the time to do what like cuz there there was a time in my career where I did really care about personal brand and putting really authentic blog articles and newsletters out I I was doing that for a while in like the productized days and the early days of audience ops like I was really 
publishing to my personal blog all the time. But that took so many extra hours in my week to do that at, at the level that I feel, you know, integrity mm-hmm. behind that there's no, there's no world where I have those kind of hours today. I have so much other work to do on the SaaS, um, both on marketing and product that like, that's just not fitting in. I don't, I don't see, and it, I mean, it, it makes sense if you're a founder and you have a, a really great team. So you do have extra hours to, right, that's, to put that into is this. your job, right. Um, to, to create that moment. Especially in, in, in an early stage, I, I'm also, I also feel like, like I'm still just figuring it out with this SaaS. So there's not a lot to, uh, to speak with authority on, but when I do share, it's like, I just had this, this, this learning that I, you know, got to share it. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that that's your answer. At the end of the day, your answer is right there. You got better things to do, more leverage, thing, higher leverage things to do, more important things to do, more things that you think are going to be more effective. Yep. Speaking that, of things to do, I gotta, I gotta get out of here and pick up the kids at camp. See you, dude. Have a great weekend. All right. Later, folks. Thanks, everyone.